Welcome to Revenue Talks, the show where we get real about what it takes to build pipeline and drive expansion as a go-to-market team. I'm Justin Keller, the Vice President of Revenue Marketing at Drift, and on this show, I'm here talking to folks across the entire go-to-market organization, which means marketing, sales, and customer success, about how they use conversations, technology, and cross-functional alignment to build more pipeline and drive expansion. Because revenue, it's everyone's business now. Welcome back for another episode of Revenue Talks. I'm Justin, and today I'm joined by Kevin Lee, who is the SVP of Marketing at Oyster. And if you don't know, Oyster is a global employment platform that enables companies everywhere to hire people anywhere. I love Kevin's career trajectory. Started out in sports writing, then a somewhat natural progression into content marketing. And now he runs entire marketing teams, scales them through hypergrowth. And having spent some time in sports writing, I assume one thing Kevin knows a lot about is team sports which let's be honest, is what go-to-market is. So I'm very excited for this. This is probably also going to out me as not knowing a whole lot about sports if we get into sports metaphors. But Kevin, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Of course. Thank you, Justin. This is great. I'm excited to chat with you. Me too. Maybe before we get into all the nitty gritty, something on your LinkedIn profile caught my eye, and it is that you also teach a growth marketing course at Boise State, which is wild because I hear complaints all the time. And I'm one of the people surfacing these complaints is that in graduate level marketing, they teach you nothing like that's current or relevant to today's marketplace. So can you fill us in on your syllabus a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. That's why this course exists. So it's part of this unique program that's about design and innovation. And so my course on growth marketing, we call it growth hacking, is one of the courses. We also do ideation and design. We do analytics. We do emerging technology. And so it's all these really cool kind of cutting edge topics. And then mine is basically, it's called growth hacking, but it's a mask for like a digital marketing curriculum. So the, uh, the students get to come up with their own company from scratch, put together a business plan, a website, and then I run them through a channel strategy for how to grow it. So it's fun and it makes me feel smart because I get to tell them the beginner level stuff that they don't know anything about, but it's easier for me. So it's a good boost to my ego. That's awesome. What are the kind of student reactions? Like, I mean, is this something where, I don't know how long you've been teaching this, but they do they go on to have cool like tech marketing careers? They do. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, it's been really mind opening for a lot of students. Like they come into college with this expectation that, you know, here's my career and it's on this path. And like you, you saw from my LinkedIn and background, like I have a very non-traditional path into marketing and tech. And so it's really about mindset. I think giving them that permission to learn this mindset, to adapt these basically growth marketing, growth hacking techniques, and then apply it to whatever they're interested in is just huge for them. Like I've had students come up to me afterward and say like, you know, I thought I was going to do this thing after school and now I want to go and do this thing that I really love. And that means the world to hear that stuff. Yeah, that's got to be really, really fulfilling. I've honestly pitched to my local university, hey, you know, I would love to just like, even if it's one one class, like let me sub in and teach kind of like marketing fundamentals, like current tech marketing fundamentals. And they're like, no, nah, we're good. But that was something like I just wanted to like, I mean, it's so hard to find really talented young marketers. And oh, yeah. I, so it's awesome that you're doing it. What made you want to go and, and do that? Well, like my background is non-traditional. And so everything I've learned in marketing has been learned on the job kind of learn as you go. And so I've been really grateful for the folks who have taken time to teach me all these things. I mean, those poor souls, I knew nothing when I got started here. And so to whatever degree I can give back and can help in that regard, I'm here for it. And I want to make that you know part of how I spend my time. I love that. All right. Well, now I'm 
ready to go to school. Everyone listening to Revenue Talks is ready to go to school with you. So I was snooping around. And one thing so I absolutely love that you did this, Kevin, is you have an interview with yourself on your Substack. And in that, you talk about your role at Oyster, but the about how the entire go-to-market team shares the company's revenue goals, which I fully applaud and endorse. Can you break that down for us? Like, what does that mean to you that the go-to-market team shares the revenue goals? And bonus points if you can turn that into sports analogies that I try <laughs> to understand. Yeah, of course. So we like to think of our go-to-market as one big team. And so there's there's two go-to-market leaders. It's me, SVP of marketing, and then we have an SVP of sales and partnerships. And so he and I are very close, obviously. And I think we both experienced jobs in the past where those two teams were almost competitive against each other, which just did not great, create good environments, did not create a lot of success. And so we think of us as one big team. We share budget, we share goals, we share projects, campaigns, like we're just kind of all enmeshed together. We're, we're in it, in it to win it for better or worse. Kind of the way I would think about it, I, I think there's I'm going to tell you a sport I don't know a whole lot about is F1. It's like Formula One racing. And so you have someone like in the car, driving the car. Then you have someone else like on the sidelines, you know, coaching the person through the turns and pit stops and all these different aspects of it. And so it's kind of like that tag team relationship where you have us kind of swapping roles and doing different types of things all for the same goal. Maybe another way to think of it is like doubles tennis. You're both on the same side of the court, doing the same thing, taking turns, hitting the ball back and forth, but we're, we win or lose together is kind of the idea behind it. So from an org structure, it's probably pretty typical, but I think a lot of it is like how we work and how we think together, which makes the difference. I'm coming to you from Indianapolis, home of the Indy 500, and I think we've got a lot of motorsports. So that actually does resonate with me. I get that. I get that metaphor oh, pretty well. <laughs> How did you get there, though? I mean, was this like a natural when you joined? Was it kind of like, a, all right, let's be friends. Let's pull in the same direction. Let's start a doubles tennis team. Or did it take a little while to kind of build that bridge and find that partnership? You know, I think we both had been burned by it in the past and past jobs. And so coming into it, it was a bit easier of a sell to say, you know, this is the the type of culture, the type of team we wanted to build. I was fortunate at Oyster. So I joined and one of the co-founders is a really great marketer and had built some of the foundations for me. And he kind of had instituted this, this general culture of sharing and collaboration. So that was easy for me to jump into. And a lot of those relationships and expectations are already built. But if I were to do it over again, I think it would come back to making sure that sales and marketing are in the same room when it comes to decision-making. Like if I'm the first marketing hire, can I be involved in making that sales hire and vice versa? So in this case, our salesperson was already here and I came in second. And so making sure that he had a voice in that hiring decision and had a you know a strong say as to someone I can work with. I think those are really important. And then the people themselves. So I'm low ego, even though I did an interview with myself on my own <laughs> Substack. I think like being low ego helps and having a partner who is is similarly low ego, it goes a long ways. Yeah. For the record, I don't think that was a high ego move. I think that was like, it shows <laughs> emotional awareness and like self-awareness. So I think I, I took that in the best part. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> so let's continue. I'm going to try and jam as many sports analogies in here as clumsily as I can. When it goes okay. time to look at the scoreboard, right? So if we talk about good market revenues, as a scoreboard. Are you and your head of sales looking at one number? Like that's our score? Or do you guys have different numbers and some composite of those numbers equals the grand total score? Yeah, we look at so many numbers. Like if if I could use a, a football analogy, so there's the score, like how many points do we have on the scoreboard, but there's our offensive stats and our defensive stats. There's our new business and our expansion business. There's under offense, there's rushing yards, there's passing yards. So there's there's pipeline, there's closed one. Like there's a bunch of different metrics. We kind of think of it as a cascade. Like you have your North Star of ARR and then you build down from that. 
new and expansion, a pipeline for new, closed one, pipeline breaks down into inbound, outbound, and partnerships. And so it's just kind of this Russian nesting doll of metrics. And so oftentimes we're reporting on, you know, obviously the big one, but also, you know, two or three of the leading indicators that are going to build up toward more of the lagging indicator of ARR. But we're watching, you know, a whole dashboard full of different metrics. Because like you guys share the same, the North Star, as you said, when those other numbers start to like come out of alignment, right? It's not like there's a blame game. You're not pointing fingers. It's like, okay, I think this part of the funnel's jammed up. Like, what can we do together to solve this? Because at the end of the day, you want to get to the same place. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's like, so for instance, for us, we talk a lot about channel mix. When we say channel mix, we mean inbound, outbound, and partnerships. And so... Mm -hmm. Let's say in Q4, we've modeled a certain percentage of pipeline contribution from outbound, but it's just not there for whatever reason. And so then the conversation happens, you know, like, can we fix this? Yes or no. But also, can we rely a bit more on inbound this quarter to make up for the gap there? And then how does that project into the future? And so it's it's a lot about this push and pull and almost like dial up and dial down. I've always thought one day, like I, I own inbound as an example. So one day, Inbound is not going to be performing. And I'm going to hope that like my sales partnership can like lift me up when I'm below. And I think similar, like if outbound or partnerships, is not there. I want to be there to help on the inbound side. And so being able to flex between those goals is really helpful too. That's right on. As we talk about it, it's like, yeah, obviously this is the way it should work, right? We're pulling in the same direction. We are all trying to create revenue for the company that creates more wealth for the shareholders. It creates more jobs for people, all that. But and it's just so, it's bizarre how common the opposite is true, where you see marketing and sales as having adversarial relationships. And I don't know if you have any words of wisdom for us on this, other than, hey, you guys need to be besties, right? Sales and marketing leaders, you guys need to be tied at the hip and drinking buddies or whatever. What would you say to them? Like, if there is someone listening to this that does have a tough relationship with their sales or marketing counterpart, like, how can they help ameliorate that and get that one team spirit going? Yeah, you know, I, I probably experience it with other departments, to be honest with you. Like if things are good with sales, maybe they're off with finance or they're off with product. Maybe they're great with product, but they're off with sales. Like I, I think similar interpersonal dynamics are probably solved in, this, in similar ways, regardless of the department that you're trying to work with. So for me, it often comes back to what does this person care about? Like what is either motivating them or what are they gold on or what are what is really important to them? Then how can I support them in that way? I think it's a little easier on the sales side because our goals are so intertwined. Like I, I have a pretty good idea of what's important to them and what they need. But even from that respect, like I've worked in relationships before where, yes, it was obvious that sales was expecting pipeline for marketing, but like, can we understand that a bit more? Like the relationship in my case was rocking. So like my job was, well, let me understand. It's not just about me giving you this number and then saying, good luck. I hope you pull up, hold up your end of the bargain. It's like, well, what do you really need in this number for you to be successful? Do you feel excited to feel empowered about going out and selling this thing. And so I think having those conversations, which can be a little uncomfortable if your relationship isn't great to begin with, but I think being uncomfortable and leaning into that and having those conversations will get you to a really good spot. Hey, it's Elizabeth, the producer of the Drift Podcast Network. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Revenue Talks. If you're looking for even more go-to-market best practices, check out our ebook, GTM Lab. You'll get go-to-market hot takes and secrets from the industry's brightest minds on how to ignite every phase of your strategy, giving you even more ways to energize your marketing and sales efforts. Give it a read at drift.ly slash gtmbook. Now, back to the show. When I encounter conversations like that too, I tend to go to the same place. Like I seek to understand 
the motivators that are behind these actions, right? And if you can understand that, then it's easier to have empathy and you can solve things together. But then the other thing you said was, you know, having the conversations and having that communication, which I think is the other super important thing, like being able to have open, even sometimes vulnerable conversations is critical. What does that look like at Oyster? Kind of a broad question, but what, I mean, maybe what does sales and marketing communication look like? How do you guys make sure those lines are open? We're a two-year-old startup at Oyster. And so like in terms of having an operating cadence that's robust and mature, like we're not, we're not there yet, to be honest with you. So a lot of it happens. We're kind of, we're kind of building the plane as we go, building the train as we go, building the plane as we fly, whatever the... Building a plane on a train and somehow you get there. (laughs) There you go. There you go. We're going to get there. But in the meantime, what it looks like is I have a weekly one-to-one with my sales counterpart. And it's just a very open conversation. Part of it is about connecting as people, which helps, and then going into, you know, whatever the big challenges are. We started to institute QBRs, so quarterly business reviews. That's been really helpful to do that work. We have a private Slack channel, which is just for our commercial teams to talk about some of the bigger challenges they're facing. And then we are a very asynchronous culture. And so we have Asana as our project management tool. And so we have some really wonderful weekly updates from different parts of our go-to-market machine in terms of how things are going and easy quick status updates of on track, off track, at risk. And that really, you know, all together, that gives us a pretty good view into it. And then just as things bubble up, we try to catch it as soon as we can. I think the weekly cadence of the async updates is one of the best ways that we're able to see those things ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is so important. We go to exhaustive lengths here at Drift to tell whatever relevant marketing updates we've got for our sales team, just so like no matter which way they turn, they get hit in the face with it because I think it's you know easy to avoid those things, especially, you know, when we're, I think, a little bigger than you and getting that message across to so many sellers is difficult. But then as soon as someone does get that message, all of a sudden you're the bad guy. Like, why didn't I know about this? Or how long has this been happening, right? And so there's a bit of a CYA in there too, but the point stands, right? Like that communication is absolutely critical for people like yourself and me. If we can pivot a little bit, this is a question I always love to ask. A, because I think it makes people squeam a little bit and B, because I, in the bottom of my heart, know the answer to it. But in your position, you're responsible for growing Oyster's brand and their brand reach. And it is always impossible to tie revenue to brand, right? But when it's happening, people feel it and they say, okay, this is working. Even then, it's not tangible. How do you go about thinking about investing in brand? And do you even think about the ROI on brand investments? Yeah, unfortunately, I have to. I, I would love to not be able to, to think about the ROI for it, but we're not there yet. I've been very fortunate at Oyster. Like, there is a high belief in brand, and so I feel like I have permission and a certain amount of commitment from the company to go out and, and do cool things. But I also feel a lot of responsibility to, to show and prove the value of it. So we went through a couple of interesting things lately. Like As everything has shifted kind of in, in 2022 in terms of the economic landscape, like we used to have brand as this company key result around expanding our brand reach, expanding our brand awareness. And we pulled that off of the company level key results and replaced it with an efficiency metric. And I think that was a really interesting exercise because ultimately I think brand is an efficiency lever for a business. And so what I kind of told myself and told my team is like, we're going to see our investment in brand represented in this efficiency metric, like sales efficiency is going to improve. CAC is going to improve. All these different things are going to improve. So that's one way that I've proved ROI is taking brand and applying it to whatever is most important to the business today. Very tactically, we've done things like pre and post tests on different brand initiatives that we've done. We've done holdout tests for certain, maybe certain geographies where we did or did not do brand marketing or brand advertising. So there's those aspects too. And then there's softer metrics in terms of 
oh, things like branded keyword search, aided and unaided recall, some of those you know qualitative and quantitative mix of how you measure brand in general. But I think tying it to efficiency has been really key for us in 2022. Ding, 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 ding. That is... Did I get the right answer? <laughs> when, I, when I say it from the bottom of my heart, that's always where I go back to is because brand drives demand, right? The stronger your brand is, the easier it is for your team to, your sales team to start up new conversations. The more traffic you're getting on your website, the more people are like, oh, I know what this is. I understand what I'm signing up for. And it's true. If there are CFOs, uh, sales leaders that are hard on your marketing leaders, pay attention to that, right? That's why brand is important because it makes everything else easier. If we go back, hey, another sports analogy. If we go back to your F1 and analogy. This is where I can't believe I am using a sports reference here, but I do because <laughs> I'm in Indianapolis and I'm surrounded by a bunch of cars all the time. These F1 teams spend literally millions of dollars every year tuning these cars so they can get like a tenth of a second better lap time, like that much money for that little return. And I'm not saying that brand needs to spend millions of dollars for 1% increase in conversion rates or whatever, but it's the same thing, right? Like being able to invest in something to make that lap speed just a little bit better is the point of what the brand investment is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think of it like if I could use a sports analogy for hockey, it's almost like the inverse of a penalty box. Like when you, when you have a penalty in hockey, you take someone off the ice and you're at a disadvantage. It's almost like if you could play the brand card in hockey and get an extra person on the ice, like I think it's become six on five at that point. And that's kind of what it feels like when brand is working for you is you got an extra person advantage in the game. That's amazing. That was a bit of a stretch, but that's <laughs> came to it, mind. I, it made sense to me. And as you know, I think I consider myself at the end, the left end of the curve of sports intelligence <laughs> or sophistication or whatever. So well, thank you. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. I can't believe how much we've talked about sports. This is a new thing for me, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one question. This is the signature revenue talks question that I want to ask you. And that is, and um, it, here's like, this is the lightning round. You get 10 times the points if you can make this into a sports analogy somehow. The question is this. What is the one thing that your team is focused on to accelerate revenue for the rest of the year? Oh, boy. I feel like I'm going to cheat and say more than one thing. So the way I think about our options for accelerating revenue, I think about how we can acquire, how we can monetize, and how we can retain. And monetization and retention are really key for us. So not that we're not doing those things, but the answer that comes to mind is on the acquisition side. What we're doing is expanding our go-to-market. And so the number one thing for accelerating revenue is taking our core ICP and trying to figure out what the next one is, taking our, our core use case and talking about the next use case. And so that's been really key for us. It's partially due to our stage being, you know, a two-year-old company, it's kind of time to make that jump. And then partially due to, you know, factors outside of our control, our core ICP is feeling feeling the pinch in a lot of ways. And so what are some other use cases and ICPs for us? That's the plan. Maybe you could think of it to go back to football. We're taking a very core playbook and we're adding some new plays to the playbook and, and hopefully going to score some touchdowns before end of the year. Yeah. It goes back to efficiency, right? Like you're trying to take what you've got already. How can we repurpose it? How can we reduce the drag coefficient on our car so we can go a little bit faster, right? What, <laughs> what little tweaks can we make here? What new, I don't know, this is the end of my sports analogy, but that makes a lot of sense. And I think as a two-year-old company, it's all about being nimble, being scrappy, and figuring out how to find those efficiencies wherever you can to help you grow faster. Totally. Yeah, we're trying to build the foundation to build the team so that you can bring in these other layers of, oh, now we can go after this persona, now we can go after this geography, but on the same foundation of what we built. And so I think we're, we're at that stage. That's awesome. Kevin, it has been a pleasure. I've learned a little bit about sports today. I've learned a lot <laughs> about sales and marketing partnership today. It was a pleasure having you on Revenue Talks. Everybody, Kevin Lee from Oyster, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Awesome. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for listening to Revenue Talks. If you liked this episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you're listening. You can connect with me on Twitter at Justin Keller and the entire Drift Podcast Network at at Drift Podcast. Remember, revenue, it's everyone's business now. 